Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Tonight we have three authors who contributed on this fabulous book, Tiny Crimes, very short stories of tales of mystery and murder, and it's a genre called flash, fi flash fiction, right? Yeah, so it's a really interesting genre, and these guys are each going to uh, read some of their pieces, and we're going to do a Q&A, and then if you'd like to buy the book, you can do that in the front of the store, and after the Q&A, uh, you can bring it over here, and they, and they will sign it. Okay, so... Um, I wanted to remind you guys to turn off your cell phones, if you would do that. And you could follow us, by the way, over on Twitter at Skylight Books. That would be great fun. You can also follow a couple of our authors over there as well, uh, like Amelia. You can follow her over there at Gray Amelia, G-R-A-Y Amelia. And also you can follow Adam Hirsch over there at The Adam Hirsch. Our other author tonight, Brian Evanson, you can find him on Facebook. So without any further ado, you guys, please put your hands together for Brian Evanson, Amelia Gray, and Adam Hirsch. Okay, thanks. They might be they might be dueling. Hey everybody. Hello. Thanks Hi. for coming. Um I'm in charge. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I started Yay. talking. Yay. So I think um, because this is flash fiction, they're super short. Uh, even even our pieces are short, I think. Did that's you right. write a short one? Yeah, it's very short. Okay. Mm -hmm. What did they say? Fewer than a thousand words? Mm -hmm. I think that's right, yeah. Okay, yeah. So that's fun. And I, I think what we're going to do is read all of our own. Uh, and then read one of someone else's. Maybe we talk in between there somehow so it's not insufferable. Mm -hmm. Okay, great, 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 great. Um, well, I don't want to go first. Okay, do you want to go first? I look like I'm going first. <laughs> okay. But not in okay. Airport paperback. Dear Maria, thank you. I received your redacted and the rest. One of the brighter parts of the day-to-day -day routine is redacted. Surprisingly modern buildings, redacted. So, redacted. When it gets cold, the sky fades to the color of concrete. The times we're allowed to roam the camp, I can hear the staccato harmonies of some birds out in the woods. Last week, I thought I recognized the song of Redacted. And yes, to answer your question, Redacted. We eat. My hair is going. Waking up, I see more and more thin black strands laying on my pillow. Back in Los Angeles, Redacted. Without question, Redacted. An airport paperback, myself on the surreal, redacted. I have read it again and again, redacted. The days with bodega stop in we, redacted. But the one thing that has become certain is that I am now a criminal, redacted. 
For there has always been a machine, and this machine has monstrously seduced the naive with promises of wealth and comfort. And they are torn, limb from limb, soul from body, person from community. I did what I had to, Maria. Redacted. Yet ever since, each movement has failed us. The artists have failed us. The intellectuals have failed us. The institutions have failed us. Most of all, the government has failed us. Let me explain. I cannot know how or if my letters are redacted. But I want to at redacted. I was about to fly back to redacted after speaking at the redacted conference in Boston. I remember that morning I was shaving in my room at the Hyatt in Cambridge, hot water steaming up from the sink. I looked in the mirror. I saw a tall man who took care of himself, strong, with thick black hair and the same olive skin of his grandfather, and the same gray eyes his mother had stared down the hate and abuse of her son of a bitch husband, redacted. You know about him. I looked in the mirror, Maria, and I thought, redacted. But this was redacted in New England. Snow and ice pounded the city. The phone by the bed rang. Wiped the lines of shaving cream from my jaw and ears with a towel, and I picked up the phone, redacted. See, I was in the mood, redacted. All of whom fashion themselves, capital A, artists, redacted. Not writers or painters or redacted, or makers or doers, but capital A, artists. Sub, redacted. The Massachusetts weather, redacted. I rang up my guy to Rosen, redacted, who lived in town. Hadn't seen him for years. Know what? You met him after the midterm elections. Went by Rose. Big guy, muscles, button nose, a sweetheart. Taught redacted. Brilliant man, but he smelled like Thai detergent drug bar noir. Remember? Rose came and picked me up, and he and I redacted. Cheap red wine from coffee mugs redacted. Herbie Hancock rolling spliffs, and he showed me his piece, a nickel-plated 45 from his friend. By redacted, we realized we'd lost track of time and needed to get moving. Redacted, the ice coming down on the roads. Rose and I walked redacted between the weed and the redacted chicken biryani. It happened. The manager, a short man with glasses, had a humorless demeanor. I stayed by the door. Rose spoke to him. They were talking when the power went out. Redacted. The woman had tears in her eyes, gripping the parka she had over she had on over her sari. We pushed past her and ran out. The money went to where it was needed. It was an act of love, and love is only courage in the face of death. That a death redacted may result from my actions is not judgment for the robbery help redacted. People, allegedly injured, but that my book, my crime, will reach many more redacted. Responding to it, redacted. You do what you can, no matter the secrets or the pain, for to think is the sweetest illegality. I believe it is worth holding out against certain persuasive eventualities. History may give context, redacted. El Grito del Popolo, right? Redacted. For human unhappiness is evidence of our own mortality and redacted. Justified deportations, redacted. 
because what good is theory in the face of survival? The one thing that is certain is that I am a criminal. I have to wrap it up now. I am tired. My hand aches. Tell Redacted I miss him. And to Strong, Redacted. And I can't Redacted because I don't Redacted. So please tell him Redacted. Please, Maria, please tell him that with all my heart, I redacted. Love, Julian. Can I have a question real quick? Do you want to do you want to show them the redacted pages so they so they can see? You get it, but it's like just show them what it looks like. It's sort of like my printer was wonky, so it's blue too. I thought that was more complex, <laughs> yeah. but you get it. Um, so, so I guess what I wanted to know really quick is, did you write the complete story and then redact? Okay, mm -hmm. cool. And what was your what was your theory on redacting? Basically, to basically to bring the idea of someone who doesn't speak into a character. So the idea of the prison guard redacting it and the fact that you have these blank spaces and can fill them in yourself and wondering what could be so bad if this is present day, if this is in the future, what's happening that would make someone say that no one else can see this? What is such an egregious crime? What information is so, you know, in a way paramount? So, you know, so you know, carefully held that you know no, they can't get out of a prison camp. And so it was some emotional stuff, I assume. Yeah. So any 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 idea of what people cling to as like the fun parts of their identity. So ideas of when you were at places, people you know, ways of expressing emotion, ways of or ways of expressing emotion to other people, um, romantic emotion mainly, things like that that actually do happen today um, and you know wondering what could be in the blanks and this idea that he did commit a crime what would the crime be and is it was it a worthy crime was it a horrific crime was it you know, justified was it unjustified you know what happened so to make a reader actually have to ask themselves that question kind of brings them into it about you know what do they consider to be a crime so, so basically to make it fit into a thousand words you deleted the crime no it actually fit, <laughs> fit under a thousand words oh, before okay. oh. All right. oh that's good yeah. <laughs> no I showed up to play yeah. okay. <laughs> I came to play it's, it's funny my, yeah, right. my, my, my grandfather was uh, in, in Pearl Harbor and, and we have all his letters that were sent back and a lot of those were redacted too and, and we also have the originals as well mm -hmm. and the, the funny thing is often the things that are redacted are things like we had peas for dinner and that would seem suspicious somehow I guess because there was no meat and uh, um, so so there was a weird mix of things that seemed like they were relevant and things that mm -hmm. seemed like they were not relevant yeah well I mean it's just even like the the species of the bird is right. you know redacted because it's you know you can locate wherever something might be because you know what type of bird might be there so things like that like peas are things that you might consider to be just trivial but you know again why does this prison guard who doesn't really speak or is ever described in this kind of this like in the real world this faceless specter looming over it's why do they you know protect what they do and what's going on in the world that has created that sort of situation 
My grandpa was at Pearl Harbor too. They probably were the same grandpa. Oh my god! <laughs> okay. Thank you. We'll just leave that there. <laughs> so my, I, I'm going to read next. Is that all right? Yeah, with you? that's Is great. That okay with you? Yeah, great. Is that a, all right? Great. Um, so, so this story is kind of conceptually a little weird because it's short. I, you know, you can do a lot of funny stuff. But so what I was, I was interested in the most common ways to die and the most uncommon ways to die. And I, and I looked up those two lists and then made two characters: one who is trying to die in the most common way, and then one who is trying to die in the most uncommon way. And then I had them fall in love. Um, okay. So this story is called The Odds. He had seen her around for months, but first gathered up the courage to speak to her. The day he found her sunbathing on the roof of the apartment complex. You'll catch cancer doing that, he said. I hope I do, she said. He immediately asked her out. At dinner, she ordered the meatloaf smothered in gravy with a side of sliced bologna and a turtle cheesecake and ate it all grimly. Do you really think it'll work, he asked. She looked very slim, as if the processed meat slid right through her. It might be collecting in my heart, she said. I could look perfectly happy until it happened. That's how it was with my aunt, he said. But wouldn't you rather not be part of some sad statistic? She sliced a thick triangle of bologna. You're a statistic either way, she said. You were saying you took up diving. <laughs> Fantastic. He'd hired a boatman who didn't remark on all the bloody meat he brought with him in a cooler and only frowned and looked away when he dumped the contents of the cooler into the water and went in after. I thought for sure it would work, he said. But I didn't get so much as a nibble from a grouper, let alone a shark. Maybe it was the wetsuit, she said. You could try it somewhere warmer where you could have more flesh exposed, someplace tropical, lots of falling coconuts. He considered this. It would cost him another month's salary, but what was the point of making money if not to spend it? He wasn't the type who hoarded funds to eventually give to his children, who didn't exist at the moment, and if they ever did, would probably live in a society where currency had no meaning. The odds were good. I would love to see you again, he told her at the end of the night. Seems likely, she said, lighting her next cigarette with the last. She offered him another drag, but he passed it up too easy. They were, newly, they were newlyweds when the carnival came to town. They walked to the fairgrounds holding hands. She sipped alternately between a soda and a beer as he considered the different rides. A kiddie roller coaster worked its way around a track in low dips. Children ran in and out of a fun house with two-way mirrors and slanted floors. Towering above it all, a creaking metal contraption threw its passengers from one side of a bench to the other while they shrieked, holding a single padded bar for safety. That one, he said. She frowned up at it. I'll stay here. Come on, he said. It'll be fun. And you never know. She held his soda while, she waited, while he waited his turn for the metal tower. A family of four was ahead of him, and when it came time to board, the five of them were seated together on the bench. When I was a little girl, one mother said, one of, one of these flew off its rails at the highest point. It went 30 feet before landing on top of a batting cage. Her children were shoving each other and screaming. I told them the story, but kids don't care. They kept saying they wanted to ride the thing that looked like a, like a fidget spinner, and finally I was like, whatever. Tell me more about the accident, the man said. Did anyone die? 
The ride groaned, shuddering as it lifted from the ground. I'm going to be sick, the mother said. The man felt his heart beating. He slid to the edge of the bench, felt the edge of his body press into the open gap between the seat and the bar. But he couldn't make himself do it on purpose. Far too common. And so the ride progressed without incident, and other than the pleasure of the mother screaming for her life beside him, there was no fun in it. His wife was sitting on the bench where he left her. It was a filthy bench, a kind of corroded old iron, which had been painted a thousand times and covered with all manner of carnival detritus. She was running her hands across the metal and licking her fingers. How was it? she asked. Fine, he said. Let's go. They watched the children running around. Children with runny noses, with cotton candy and balloons, with strange raised rashes. I wonder if any of these kids have measles she said. Is measles still even a thing? He asked, more often than you'd think. She waited until they were standing on their porch to get into it. You know, it would have happened years ago if you weren't so precious about it, she said. He gritted his teeth but couldn't ignore the bait. Is this about my diet? It's much easier for men who eat meat, she said. Hard liquor, processed cheese, you have such an ego. At least I'm trying to ascribe some meaning to it, he said. She scoffed. You just want to be on the news. After she went in, he stood under the dead oak tree for another hour, but the heavy branch never fell. They preferred to make their own improvements on the house rather than calling a contractor, though she liked the idea of strangers having an extra key. He insisted on doing all the painting. She tried half-heartedly to trip over a few loose plywood boards and at one point sampled a bit of the paint, but gave up and returned to the couch. You all right? he asked, holding the ladder with one hand as he reached over the stairwell to get a spot almost out of reach. It's difficult, she said. I always thought once I started really trying, it would be easy. He came down off the ladder. It was never going to be easy, he said. She wouldn't look at him. On TV, there is a, a report of a fire 20 miles away but growing. 200 homes were in danger. The report showed firefighters working their way across smoldering brush. He felt her tense up. I need to go, she said. She went into the bedroom and came out in a beautiful red dress, a thin one that caught the sunlight and turned her shadow golden. Wait, he said, don't do this. It should be special for you. Everything is special, she said, the word ugly in her mouth, and she was gone. He didn't hear from her after that, and though there was no report, he knew it had worked. He thought that would be the end of it, and mourned in a quiet way, using a broomstick to drape her clothes into the lower branches of the old dead oak tree. But that was not the end of it. Not quite. A few weeks after the fire was contained, the city investigators found a woman's body near the worst of it, a perimeter of gasoline, proof enough that she had played some part. They showed an aerial view on the news, and though her remains had been removed, it was possible to see their outline in the clearing, arms spread in the center of a charred halo of accelerant. The reporter describing the scene fell silent, and when her voice returned, it was choked with emotion. It's almost beautiful, she said, stammering off script. The way she's so perfectly presented, it's so unusual. Stunning, really. Investigators will be studying this for years to come. The man reached forward to touch the screen. The ashes of flesh and wood, the outline of her body seared into the earth. It was the most beautiful death he had ever seen. She would have hated it.
All right, I, I have a question. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Did you have the idea of the two different types of people and their approach to death conceptually before you began the piece, or was it something that developed as you were writing it? Yeah, it was it was conceptual right away, and I and that's kind of a like a flash fiction thing for me. Is like the shorter the story for mm -hmm. me anyway, the the kind of thinner the concept can be, or like more conceptual the origin can be. So, so yeah, I was I was really just kind of hung up on the most common ways to die and the least common ways to die. And that there's a line in there about like you're a statistic either way because it's a personal um, annoyance of mine when when you know some commercial is like don't become a statistic and it's like <laughs> you're in it you know you're a statistic yeah. you know the people who went to college or you know whatever people who eventually died like there's a there's a stat out there with with me in it so um, but anyway so so yeah it was it was out of those kind of ideas that that, that, that came yeah well, what about the fire that comes at the end was that something you came up with just kind of late, late in the piece or something yeah. That, yeah 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 that was late and it was sort of like um, uh, the, you know there's something in there about how she wanted it to be a common it's it's on the list of common ways to die mm -hmm. or, you know like smoke inhalation or or um, accidents or fire I can't remember exactly what but but uh, everybody's death, no matter how common, is unique, and 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 every every death is beautiful, and um, she she would have hated that. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, guys. All right. Um, all right. I'm going to read to you as well. Um, so this, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the book after we're done, but it's, you know, it's about three dozen crimes that, you know, move pretty quickly. And I think as a result, um, you know, uh, you can very quickly uh, learn all sorts of ways to do away with your significant others. Um, this piece is called The Law of Expansion. Um, it is pure dialogue. There's no kind of dialogue tags or anything. So I'm going to try to read it in a way that you can, when I pause, that I'm moving from one voice to another. It's just an exchange between two people and then exchange between two different people. Um, and if I pause for a long time, it means that there's, there's, the characters are pausing. They're not saying anything. Uh, and probably the only thing you need to know about it is the, the name that opens the piece, Sabra, uh, is the name of the person who we bought our house from. So um, one. Sabra, can you come up here? I'm busy. You're always busy. I wouldn't ask if I didn't need your help. Oh, all right. How did that happen? It doesn't matter. Is he dead? What do you think? Of course he's dead. See, it comes right off. Jimmy, why would you show me that? What's wrong with you? Sorry. Here, take your take the you take the legs and I'll take the heavier half. We'll have to tuck his head into the shirt somehow. It'd be a lot easier if he was wearing a t-shirt, but at least this shirt is baggy. Between the two of us, we can't move him, Jimmy. We gotta leave him there. Why? Why? For the police. They have to come and take pictures and all that. The police? Oh, I, didn't, I don't think there's any point in bringing the police on this, do you? Yes, of course I do. What, that's what the police are for. I think that would just complicate matters. Besides, they're already so busy. Well, we definitely have to tell Mom. We definitely shouldn't tell Mom. It's her boyfriend, Jimmy. It's Dale, for God's sake. She has a right to know. Was her boyfriend. Really, Sabra, you can't tell Mom. God damn it, this is just like Mr. Emmons all over again. I can't believe you'd say that. This is nothing like what happened to Mr. Emmons. That was a complete accident. So you're saying this wasn't? Of course it was, but it was a completely different kind of accident. Hmm. We really should get him out of here and, and clean up. 
how did it happen, Jimmy? Oh, you know, these things happen. These things happen? Just what is that supposed to mean? I swear to God, Jimmy, I was right. This is just like Mr. Emmons all over again. It's not at all like Mr. Emmons. All right then, prove it. How did it happen? I was just sleeping in bed when suddenly I heard something. I sat bolt upright in bed and there he was looming over me. I'm pretty sure he was planning to kill me. I hardly had time to think. I just lashed out. Why would he want to kill you? How do I know? I'm not in his head. And you just happen to have a knife on your bedside table? I'd... No, I think he must have had the knife. Probably he dropped it when I set bold upright. Stop saying bold upright. This is not a novel. The police are going to think you're making it up. There's not a better way to say it, and we're not calling the police. Anyway, probably he dropped the knife when I set bold when I set suddenly up. My hand just happened to accidentally close over the handle when it fell, and then I lifted my arms to defend myself and accidentally killed him. Naturally. Naturally. By decapitating the poor man. He was a son of a bitch. Yes, he was, but that's no reason to decapitate him. I, I don't know exactly what, how that happened, but you have to admit, he shouldn't have been in my room. What's mom going to think? We're not going to tell mom. I'm going to go tell mom. Sabra? What? Last warning. Two. Kimmy? Yes. Is mom still gone? Yes. Why? What, what's that on your shirt? Don't worry about that. Can you help me with something? It looks like blood. Is that blood? Don't freak out. Oh shit, Jimmy. Did something happen like happened with Mr. Emmons? Why does everyone fucking bring up Mr. Emmons? That wasn't my fault. What happened, Jimmy? What have you done? All right, look, I haven't done anything. Before I open this door, I want you to understand that. I came up here and found them like this. Them? There's two of this time? What did you do to them? Nothing. I just finished explaining that. Focus, Kimmy. Take a deep breath. Now look, you're my little sister, and I need your help and your understanding. Can you give me that? I'll, I'll try. Okay, then. I'll show you. Kimmy? Sabra, Jimmy? Sabra? I mean, I can understand Mr. Emmons, or no, not really understand, but I can see how it might have happened for someone like you, but your own sister? I had nothing to do with it. And just who is the other one? That? Oh, oh, that's Dale. Mom's boyfriend? How did you even recognize him? You see that big lump in the shirt? That's his head. How did his head end up not attached to him? I don't know. It was like that when I got there. Jimmy, this is so much worse than Mr. Emmons. Kimmy, focus. I need you to focus. I didn't do this. I told you that already. Best I can figure it. Dale grabbed Sabra and dragged her into my room to rape, then kill her. But Sabra fought back and fought back hard. She wrested his knife away from him. Rested? Rested. Am I not pronouncing it right? How should I know? It's not a word I've seen outside of detective novels. The police are never going to believe you if you... We're not calling the police. Okay, okay, calm down. Here's how I reconstruct it. She wrested the knife away and then cut off his head, then died herself. Kimmy? What do you think? Do you believe me when I say that's what happened? Of, of course I believe you. Where are you going? Nowhere, I'm just going to... I forgot about something I was supposed to... Kimmy. Did you lock it? I didn't see you lock it. Why would you want to lock us both in with these bodies? Mom? Mom? Mom's still gone, Kimmy. She'll be home any minute, Jimmy. Yes, that does pose a problem. We'll have to work fast. I don't think you're listening to me, Kimmy. I don't think we're, you're seeing yet what really happened. Kimmy, pay attention. Open the door. Jimmy, please, please. Oh, Kimmy, I'm very disappointed in you. <laughs>
was thinking it could be a play at first, but then I was thinking there's some special thing to it being these disembodied dash people. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I never. Yeah, I just I wrote that for this and didn't think of it as a play, but that yeah. of course it only has dialogue in it. So so I wonder how you would. Yeah, there's something. It'd be a very gruesome play. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, in in your body of work. No pun intended, but um, <laughs> you've killed people in visceral and very inventive ways, you know, in, in your stories, and this is the first time you've ever done it without just, like, basic, you know, description. Uh -huh. Did you find it at all, like, freeing in a way to do it like that, to do it differently? Did you find it in a way more difficult to kind of wind around the actual murder itself or um no I, I i yeah i found it interesting i mean it just it poses a different set of problems i mean i think you you begin to imagine what's going on when things you know like the fact that the head seems to be inside the t-shirt and things like that mm -hmm. but it 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 does kind of demand that you fill in a lot of the gaps and and yeah there's very little description except the little that they gave you so so yeah it was a different kind of set of problems and i think for me it was a question of um, when you're writing something that's crime-based and it's so short, um, that puts a lot of constraint on it. And I think, you know, as as Amelia said, the fact that, um, you know, you, you can kind of begin with the concept or, or there, there's different ways to approach it, but there, you know, I, I think it has to be much more concise in various mm -hmm. ways. So, yeah. So the head came almost completely off, but not totally, and it kind of, kind of, kind of shoved? Yeah, I think there's probably still a flap of skin. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. I, yeah, but... Uh, I guess that's, you can just imagine that how you want, I, I suppose. Will. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, Round two? Yeah, I guess, I, I think so. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So now we're, like, we're going to read stories by people that aren't us, and we don't know anything about them, so there'll be less talking. But they're in the book. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> what okay. Are you uh, Carmen Maria Machado, marry when you follow her. In the autumn of Maria's 18th year, the year that her beloved father, amateur coin collector, retired auto worker, lapsed Catholic, died silently of liver cancer three weeks after his diagnosis. And the autumn her favorite dog killed her favorite cat on the brown, crisp grass of their front lawn. And the cold came so early that the apples on the trees froze and fell like stones dropped from heaven and the fifth local Dominican teenager in as many months disappeared while walking home from her minimum wage dead-end job, leaving behind a kid sister and an unfinished journal and a bedroom in her mother's house she'd never made enough to leave, deepening the community's collective paroxysm of anxiety, which made them yell at their daughters and give out obtruse and nonsensical advice about how to avoid being a victim and boosted the sales of pepper spray and St. Anthony pendants, and also prompted no action from the police, who said that the girls were, un were likely runaways. The same autumn, she finally figured out how to give herself an orgasm. Right after the summer when she broke up with her boyfriend of two years, Ira, who had for their entire relationship been attempting to make her come with the grim determination of a pioneer woman churning butter, and had failed 100% of the time. And she got herself one of those minimum wage dead-end jobs because she was saving for a one-way bus ticket to Chicago. 
and she was finally hired at Phil's discount, restocking cheap t-shirts and overstock home goods, and learned quickly to evade Phil's hands, which always seemed to brush against her body when the two of them passed each other in the bowels of the store, which is also the same autumn that Maria had started taking a shortcut home at night. In spite of her mother's warnings, through the unlit parking lot of the bankrupt, half-gutted strip mall where she'd once bought her quinceanera dress and listened to the leaves rasping over the pavement and watched an owl dismember a mouse on the pavement and then slipped her Walkman's headphones over her ears even though her mother had warned her that music would conceal an attacker's approaching footsteps and felt her ponytail bouncing against the back of her neck even though her mother had warned her that a ponytail was little more than a handle for rapists and felt thrilled to her trembling core, much in the same way she felt when her orgasms ebbed away. And after she had gone to a party held in a foreclosed house and drank deeply of syrupy, mysterious liquids in paper cups and talked about the missing girls with Dolores and Perdita, whose own parents had forbidden them to walk alone or go out at night. And after her mother's shitty station wagon broke down 20 miles away from home when she'd been on an errand to refill her brother's asthma medication, and she had to hitchhike back in the passenger seat of an 18-wheeler while chatting manically to fill the dangerous silence. And after she went home with a co-worker who sort of looked like Ira and smelled a bit like him too, because even though Ira had been a bad at sex and kissing and so many other things and so many other things besides she found his presence comforting and stable and missed him a little and after that co-worker turned out to have had a foot fetish and wanted to rub his erect dick all over Maria's boots and Maria let him because she didn't know what would happen if she didn't and after she tried to clean them off with fallen leaves in the unlit parking lot of the bankrupt half gutted strip mall and while hunched over on her project heard the sound of someone walking toward her with exquisite patience. She didn't look back, but bolted like a deer and in her socks, leaving her boots, her favorite pair, behind. And after Perdita showed up at her front door on a Sunday morning because Dolores had gone missing too, and they searched and searched and eventually found Dolores' keys in a ditch next to the road next to the elementary school, but never anything else. And after Phil handed her a paycheck with his other hand shoved deeply into his pocket and didn't let go right away when she tried to take the envelope. And after Maria told him to go fuck himself and he shoved her against the OSHA poster and called her a bitch, told her that he'd let her keep her job under one condition. And after she ran home through the unlit parking lot of the bankrupt half-gutted strip mall and looked up as she ran hoping to see a cathedral of stars but instead just saw a terrible darkness, and after she snapped at her mother that she was fine and collapsed in the bedroom, wheezing and crying, and then overturned her father's old cigar box and counted her money. But months before, a white girl from a rich neighborhood also disappeared, and suddenly the police were coming through the snarled streets in full force, and Maria's mother said that she wished Maria was around to see them finally doing their jobs. And before the town was buried under four feet of snow, which no one could deny gave them a strange sense of relief, a sense that time's terrible ticking advancement has been stilled for a spell, before a snow plow operator accidentally uncovered the shallow graves and the bodies near the unlit parking lot of the bankrupt, 
half-gutted strip mall. And before they arrested the high school chemistry teacher and the community demanded answers, and before they learned that they would never ever get them, Maria left a note for her mother on the fridge, telling her that she loved her and was sorry and missed her already. And as she sat on the bus to Chicago, her backpack in her lap and her rosary coiled in her coat pocket, and the, and the window smeared with someone else's face grease, she imagined that the missing girls rule were all living in the city in brick row houses on a single block, a well-lit block with, block with gardens and parks and a sidewalk where they all laughed and made art and dated and dined and fucked and danced and aged and married and had children. And at night they told stories to each other about the last long ago time they truly been afraid. It's so good. That's good. Yeah, it's very good. Is that one sentence? That's one sentence. Y'all. <laughs> well read, too. He annotated. Yeah, I mean... You have to. <laughs> that, was a, that was astonishing. Okay. Um, what am I doing? I'm going to read I'm going to read Sasha Fletcher. And now for something completely different. <laughs> Uh, this is called Nobody Checks Their Voicemails Anymore, Not Even Detectives. Monday, 9-12 a.m. Jimmy, it's your girl. The one at the desk who you pay a living wage. This is what could be known as a wake-up call if we were the sort of people who relied upon others to remind us of our tasks. I am aware this is funny, seeing as my job partly entails me reminding you of various things and, to a certain extent, scheduling your life for you. The thing about that is, that yesterday, Jim, note the shift to the more formal Jim here. It's, mean t it's meant to indicate a certain disdain here, Jim. <laughs> yesterday, you alerted me that you would be looking into an incident involving a certain woman who I refuse to name due to the fact that she has not, not yet, bothered to pay for the 1,000 billable hours on file. Life isn't free, Jim. And neither are the services of this office. Plus, she tried to murder you 15 times. Not that I'm counting. Anyway, the ghosts say hi. You know which ones. Monday, 9 p.m. Jim, you saved my life once and now you're responsible for it. Tuesday, 1.23 a.m. Jim, I got that backwards, I'm sorry. Tuesday, 3.03 p.m. Jim, I had a date yesterday. I can't tell if it went well. I can't tell much sometimes these days. You know that feeling? The one where in the world is not just a thing you can find to be navigable? And how by the world I mean everything outside of you? The ways in which other people, in which other things, in which all others in toto are not and will never be you? Or of a part with you? In your more romantic moments, Jim, you'd assure me that this was fine that we're all flailing about blindly in the darkness looking for a light switch or a human connection, just some signal in the dark. You'd tell me, Jim, that, well, Jim, I'm sorry, I'm a bit high right now. In the office, it's essentially three o'clock on a Tuesday. One woman was in about a diamond. It turned out to be where you'd expect. A husband came in for reasons unknown with a check that cleared and in a fashion I'd call timely. We're out of coffee. Don't worry, though. Outside the door of the room I'm in, it says we're on the case. So, it's handled. Thursday, 1.45 p.m. Jimmy, come home. It's Thursday. 
Yesterday the fellow with the buffalo chicken wraps was downstairs. I got one for you, but then I ate it because we both know they have to be eaten fresh. I know that, that I saw that man I told you about again. It was as though a light shone down on us from beyond. I held his hands in mind and asked if he'd fuck me in the bathroom. He did! <laughs> you can't trust a man who wouldn't do a thing like that if you asked him, Jim. I will either burn him in effigy or have dinner with him later, tonight. If he tries a single thing without my asking, I will put one in his kneecap. When you hear this, if you do not smile in appreciation, I hope you never come back, Jim. I hope you stay wherever the fuck you are. There is a pile of clues here just waiting for you. If you'd only bother to look for them, I swear to God. Sunday, 12.10 p.m. <laughs> Jim, it's Sunday. I made that man stake out your apartment with me. I wore a wig. I gave him a fake mustache, and I intend to make him keep it. Jim, you haven't been home or to work. I know this because I've got my ways. It's why you hired me. I burned sage around your door. I feel like there's some fuck-to-death ghosts in your life, Jim. But I feel like you're maybe okay with this. I feel like maybe letting them eat your heart out is what you need, Jim. I feel like, for some reason, you're the kind of person who could need a thing like that. Why in the world that could be, I would not say. Sunday, 11.50 p.m. Jim, when I was a girl, were I ever a girl? I went by Rebecca. I was the kind of girl a boy would swim across a lake and run through a meadow at dusk for, a boy who'd break curfew just to smell the kind of promise a girl like me contained. I was, little summers, a promise. I was made of the kind of stuff you beat your heart off to. I dreamed of a boy, the kind who'd swim across a lake and emerge his curls dripping with water, soon to dry in the sun before it fades, running through a meadow, needing me like air. I called him Bob in my heart. <laughs> Bob and Becca I carved gently somewhere I never thought anyone would see and they never did Jim we've known all along what it's like to imagine longing but that doesn't prepare us for longing our imaginations are fucked machines Jim and it's beautiful today there was a woman and she wept I could not say why and she did herself did not tell me more tomorrow as that's what it's here for Tuesday 10 10 a.m. What in the hell, Jim? Three women have lost their husbands and would like you to find them. One young boy is wondering about his father. A fortune untold waits, obscured by unaccountable troubles. The police have shot four people today for, as far as I can tell, breathing. I have taken upon it. I have taken it upon us to investigate. The office took a vote this morning. It was me and the ghosts in favor, and the opposition has yet to return our calls. That's the news from here, Jimmy Boy. All else forthcoming. That's one of my favorite pieces in the collection. And uh, you actually should just have Amelia read it into your answering machine. <laughs> I'll call you. Uh, I'm going <laughs> uh, to read a piece by Henry Hoke, who's a L.A. resident, but who's actually in, in uh, I think he's in New York right now, a um, piece called Actual Urchin. The way the urchin died was he walked up to a guy and said, you owe me 50 bucks, and the guy stabbed him in the heart. The way the urchin died was he went into a bar fum uh, fuming and grabbed the guy that owed him money and said, where's my money, and the guy killed him right then and there. The way the urchin died was he lent the wrong guy money and the guy turned out to be a killer, his killer. 
This was way after the old days, way after he was famous, way after. The studio needed an actual urchin. They were tired, of, tired to death of show kids. This new production was scrappy. It needed that shit on mood, spines at its center. Men from the gate went out to drag the streets like dog catchers and came back with candidates. Not too sick, said the studio. We can't work with sick. There was only one true choice. They found the actual urchin standing on a dead-end street looking up at a lamppost like it was the sun. Action, the director would shout from his chair, and the urchin would take charge, bringing the show kids down to his level for mischief and puppy love. The studio had a hit show on their hands. They kept the urchin in-house. At the end of the shoot day, which was every day except Sunday, drunk parents would come and scoop up their show kids and the urchin would head back to his room in the basement. There'd be soup waiting and no windows and he'd dream of a dugout, of a cool lagoon. The urchin never knew what to say unless someone told him. Not for a, million, for a billion bucks, he would say. You're trouble, he would say. Boy, would I, he would say. <laughs> We've all seen him. We all know. A ton of time can pass during a commercial break. Motherfuck, said the director one day through his old-timey megaphone. They said motherfuck even back then. You're too big a boy now. You can go. Plus, you're starting to break out in hives. Maybe it's the oil we use to slick your hair. Maybe it's... They sent him, to out, out, to the, they sent him out the back gate. He got an apartment one block away and started drinking and borrowing money and doing all the other fun, kids, big, fun things big kids do. There was a clause in the urchin's contract that once released, he, could, he couldn't lead a happy life. How's he doing? Those that thought of the urchin or saw him in reruns would ask. Is he even alive? I think so, whoever would reply. And for a decade and a half, whoever was right. Until one day, they weren't. How did the urchin die, they'd ask. He walked into a bar and up to a man and said, you owe me 50 bucks, and the man stuck a knife in him. The studio got to paint it, in, in, paint, paint it in the papers. Life snuffed out in a better place now. Other bigger people died that day and needed column space. The short of what happened. The long of what happened was the urchin walked into a bar, looked over to a corner booth, and in that corner booth a man sat wearing a t-shirt with the little urchin's face on it. His young face on a new t-shirt. The urchin might have been in a haze of barbiturates, but this was still an odd sight in those days. Then the guy who owed him money blocked the view. Then the demand. Then the stab. The urchin crawled the length of the bar to the corner booth and clutched onto the t-shirt, and the man wearing it had no idea who this dying, awkward urchin was, but the urchin held tight, and his own young face filled the screen, accompanied him into death. The man the urchin held onto in his final moments had seen some shit, and wasn't the type who thought much of staring down death. This wasn't a main moment of the man's week. The man didn't even think to wash the clothes right away. <laughs> Crimes. Crimes. Yeah. Crimes. I love it. Uh. So, so this is yeah. It's an anthology of about uh, three dozen, little more, three and a half dozen crimes, mm -hmm. and uh, um, you know they're they're. Um, let me just read you a little bit of the table of contents. I'm uh, not the table of contents. The uh, um, index. Page seven. Yeah. Page <laughs> seven. Let's see if I can find this. Um, the index, I think, is very revealing because it gives you a sense of the kinds of things you get in this. Oh. Coffee. Coffee cups sw swiped off desk by cat. Office out of coffee. Coffee shop. Coffee stain. Coffee with chocolate cake. Collective paroxysm of anxiety. Confession. Confession in park. Corpse's hair. Crack cocaine. Crawfish. Crime scene. Criminal. Realizing that one is a. Curf curfew. Decapitation. 
Detective Baines, mocked by killer. Detective mocked by killer. Detective not checking voicemail. <laughs> Detective novels. Detective Zamora. Disease. Writer's scourge. Dishwashing gloves. DNA. Dog. Eden down to spine. Dog face. Dog fentanyl. Dog houses. Mauling by dog. Prairie dog. Sad dog. And so on and so forth. So, so really, I think it covers, despite the fact that it's a very tiny book, uh, it covers pretty much every... Um, absurd crime and normal crime that you could imagine. Every state a dog can be in. Right, Every, yeah. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. yeah. Um. Uh, so, so maybe we've got time for a couple, I don't know, questions, if you feel like it. Sure, sure. We could, we could talk, cr- oh yeah, you could, what, what you got? Uh, what's the location you before? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, question was, what draws each of us to the flash fiction form, and it, is it easier or, or more difficult than long pieces? Um, I like flash fiction a lot just because I'm a big believer that uh, limitations breed creativity, and they breed uh, creative solutions to you know, compensate for the form. And uh, I also think that to really pull off a, a well-made, you know, short story, novel, whatever, the, the shorter you get, the harder it is. That's why, you know, really good, like, haiku or short short poems are really rare and they're so hard because you only have that limited space to really make an impact. So, um... Think of how good a book of ha- crime haiku would be. Oh, oh, yeah, you could... I mean, it would be just fantastic. Have you guys heard of the of the Japanese death poems? They're, they're like, haiku, end-of-life haiku yeah. by, like, monks and Zen, Zen monks and... Uh, yeah, New, New Directions published a very nice collection of Japanese oh. death poems that Yol Hoffman translated or but collected, I suppose. That's the crazy right. thing, too, is, like, you think they're going to have some, like, grand revelation yeah. or, like, perspective on life, but they're, they're not. Like, <laughs> there's not even, like, like, what, at least, like, the 20th, 21st century we think of as, like, metaphors for death and ideas of, you know, the breeze and, and seasons and moving on. They're not. They're, they're, a lot of them are what the people who were speaking just like saw in their last moments and they're just they're very immediate and mm-hmm. yeah there's something it's like you have to I, I was reading about them and it's like there's a there's a way to negotiate how the you have to like say what season it is or there's mm-hmm. a little form to it and like what you see in the season and then um, I don't know I'm still reading the book so I can't oh, yeah. I'm not going to um, what were we talking about? Oh, uh, the, the form. form. <laughs> um, yes. I, I find it to be... I mean, I wrote a whole 400-page novel that felt like needlepoint and took many years, and it felt kind of difficult in the same way as writing uh, a, like the flash fiction story that is as like perfect as I can make it. And by perfection, it's like you've got, you've got a nice concept that, that works on... on um, multiple levels you've got a, a story that's interesting enough to finish and then you and then at the line level it's it's like it's like perfect um, and I and, and I think before I put if I put this this story I, I published in a collection I'm, I was like eh, I want to work on it there's a little bit of things here and there but um but but yeah the difficulty level for me is 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 um, maybe is more concentrated in the form but it's also I guess it depends. Um, there's so many avenues which a sentence can take, you know, and um, and when it's shorter, you can really explore all of the avenues in an insane way. Um. 
Yeah, I, I started um, by writing really short pieces, and then I kind of had to teach myself to write longer pieces. And then um, recently, I kind of went back to shorter pieces. But I think I had to reteach myself to do it. There is something that's mm -hmm. very different about it than a longer piece. There is something. I mean, I think haiku is a good example. Um, not that I write haiku, but uh, um, the compression is is something that really is is interesting. I mean, you 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 try to do as much as you possibly can um, with as little as you possibly can. And that often involves um, kind of stripping away all the things that help readers have a comfortable experience or help them understand exactly what's going on. So like, like Amelia's piece, you kind of figure out what's going on with those two characters as you're reading through the piece. And you just kind of have to, to read and, and get that. And, but it's short enough that I think you're willing to do that. Um, and and so, so I do think it's a different form. I, I taught a class which is called Tiny Fictions a few years ago. And, and that was, for me, part of learning how to do this again. Um, just thinking about what it was about that short form that really um, allows it to do something that a longer form doesn't. Who do you teach in there? I teach everything. We, you know, you can read something like 800 pieces in the course of the class because yeah. they're also short. short. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want the syllabus. <laughs> or like a book of it? Yeah, yeah. something. It sounds like these guys wrote them from scratch. Yeah, um, Yeah. Um, I already had that. I already had mine. Um, but I, I kind of write about criminality or crime sort of a lot. And, and, and so Lincoln, when he, yeah, yeah, when he asked me, I, I was saying, oh, you could reprint Gutshot, the title story of Gutshot, which is about a guy getting gutshot. But, and he was like, oh, because he had originally printed that story, I think, in, um, Gigantic, um, yeah, but 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 yeah, he wanted something newish, so yeah, it was already done, but not not out there. And then yeah, for me it was just um, I got asked if I wanted to do something, and, and ended up trying a few things, and this is the one that stuck. Did you try a couple different things? Uh, yeah, I played around at first. Um, you know. Like talked to Lincoln briefly, and it was right after the election, actually, when I spoke to him, and he was like, "Think, of, don't think noir." He, this is basically what he said: "Like, don't think noir. Think about crime in different contexts, mm -hmm. about what could be considered different crimes." And so, uh, and I kind of went from there. So I played around with a couple things, and then I got the idea of, you know, what happens to kind of an intellectual professor in the worst case scenario, mm -hmm. and. Mm -hmm. And someone who just, you know, who expresses himself about that. So that's going down that path, and then ended up with this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I had I had written mine after the election, so it was pretty new for me. I just happened to be writing about crime 100 percent of my time. So. Yeah. Any other questions you guys have? All right. All right. Ride the snake. Yeah. <laughs> You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.